0: You're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Well, welcome to today's Real People OC I am your host, Kimberly Martin, and each and every week we bring you a new topic um, brought to us by a local resident of Orange County. And so I have a lot of fun picking out the folks that come our way. People call me up. You all recommend individuals to come and share their story with me. And I don't know, today's piqued my interest because I've had a particular challenge in my past with foot health. And um, I had really nice feet growing up. And then I tortured them by dancing ballet in college. And I thought they were strong. But after the birth of three children, I don't know, something, you know, kind of kind of happened along the way. And all of a sudden, it just hurt to walk. And so I had to dive into the, oh, I don't know, the crazy journey of finding out how to fix my feet. And I, you know, frankly, Fell into the care of many great foot professionals that helped me back to health, and so I don't know. I want to save you all a little bit of pain if that's something I can do, and ward off some of those evils. I watch people walking around in these shoes that I would never ever wear anymore, and I think to myself, do should I tell them what's going to come if they keep wearing those horrible shoes? Uh, But no. um, So I have in the studio today, Doctor Jeffrey Desantis. He is a trustee for the American Podiatric Medical Association, and he's also the president and CEO of Cambridge Foot and Ankle Associates. They are here in Newport Beach and also up in Orange. Um, I thought, okay, so let's get the skinny on feet. We need to know a little bit more about this and um, how to keep our feet healthy for the summertime. So welcome, Dr. DeSantis. I'm so happy to have you here in the studio and um, welcome to Real People OC.
1: Great. Glad to be at UCI.
0: Um, you've been here before, haven't you?
1: Yes, many times.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about your past with us?
1: With UCI or yeah. with my practice?
0: Well, both. Either one.
1: Just, just. UCI, obviously, uh, being at this age group that I am now, I have many friends that have graduated both UCI undergrad as well as medical school. And then um, for high school kids, uh, with dance performances and my daughter, we've been to the dance studio here many times as well.
0: Okay. Well, okay, so good. So today you're here representing as a trustee, the APMA. Tell us what the APMA is and what you do for them.
1: The APMA is a um, nonprofit medical association, which is the national, Associ- national association representing podiatrists. We're based out of Bethesda, Maryland, and we represent approximately 15,000 podiatrists nationally.
0: Okay. And so primarily the podiatrists, they deal with the health of
1: basically we specialize in the foot and ankle throughout the nation and we specialize in the deformities people see on a routine basis what you would think of if you had a heel spur or a bunion um, an ingrown toenail something like that in addition to that we do a lot of sports medicine uh, for people that tear their Achilles tendons sprain their ankles and sadly in we're increasing the number of diabetics that we treat now because of the pr- incidence of foot problems in diabetic patients nationally
0: Okay. So today, I'd like to give a little bit of our discussion to all different um, types of feet, if you will. Uh, One of my favorite books was that uh, Dr. Seuss book where he talks about feet, feet, feet. Everyone knows that one. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And so I was thinking, okay, we can talk about young feet, old feet, and sick feet. How about that? There you go. (laughs) We'll run the gamut. So um, in your work with sports medicine, you probably are tackling young feet. And really, it's kind of a bummer to have a problem early on because... I mean, geez, you know that's that's primary. That's our primary mode of transportation.
1: Yeah, we, actually, we do see kids are active, and as they're growing, their bones are obviously not as strong as we are when we get older. Um, so, the one most common thing that I'll see, and, and many parents listening out there, or older brothers and sisters listening out there, the one thing that I'll see are mainly from children, and these are the young, active kids, the kids that are not watching video games, but the kids that are out there playing soccer, playing basketball, doing things like that, develop heel pain. Many times that is between the age of, I would say, 9 to approximately 13 is the most common age that we see for that. And a growth plate of the heel gets affected by this. There are different other parts of the body that are very similarly affected, but we'll talk about the heel. And that is called calcaneal apophysitis or sievers disease, which is a common disease. That's Sever. Severs, S-E-V-E-R-S. I get a lot of people brought in, sent by their soccer coach, by their um, PE coach at school, or the mom and dad. I'll we'll bring them in saying, my kid's heel hurt. Does he have a heel spur? We'll get into heel spurs later, but heel spurs are something that an older adult would get. A child doesn't get a heel spur, but they'll get an inflammation of their growth plate, which is treated successfully, conservatively. But again, the sooner you can get them into your podiatrist and the quicker we can start treatment, the quicker we can stop them from missing their soccer games and their activities with their friends.
0: Okay, so I remember back as a young mom. Well, actually, I probably was never really a young mom. I kind of waited a while. But one of the things that some people some people in my life around me really emphasize was the importance of arch support for young developing feet, and there's probably um, a bit of discussion that should be had around that. Is that truly important, or can kids be outfitted barefoot and in cheap shoes?
1: Well. <laughs> <laughs> Outfitting cheaply, I guess we could say that for clothes, that's a that's a personal decision. But in in the fact of shoes, I'm I'm of the I'm on staff at Children's Hospital Orange County and Saint Joseph Hospital. So in Children's Hospital, that portion of my practice, I see a lot of kids, and I think that kids need to be barefoot at time. I love that they're in the sand. I love that they're in flip flops around the pool. I love that they're barefoot in their house. I don't like it when people are barefoot all the time. That's when they run into problems. When they're walking the Orange County Fair barefoot, when they're walking South Coast Plaza or Fashion Island barefoot or in flip flops, that's when they need the support. And that's when a growing child will need much more support like that. The majority of, of, of because a child is growing their feet so rapidly, they're going to change their shoe once or twice a year because they're going to outgrow it. Whereas an adult may keep an old pair of shoes for years and they're all worn out. A child usually doesn't do that. But when we have a, when we have a kid who's changing their shoe gears, if they buy a nice stable shoe gear... I think it's fine that they're able to wear that. Um, we'll get into some sports specific shoes when we talk about sports, what they're doing now. But I think sport, shoes when you're out, when you're walking your, your condition and uh, and doing your whatever activities you need to do, but barefoot, I don't have a problem with that being around the house, d- developing the intrinsic muscles, especially when the child's really young.
0: So so there's not a controversy, or maybe, maybe you can elucidate that for um, old feet, where if you wear an arch support, you're actually weakening your feet? Like-
1: I don't really think that's weakening the foot. And actually, what we what we would totally do for a, if we're still on kids would be an orthotic. You now, a functional orthotic is different than an arch support like a doctor Scholl's. What you would think you would see from you know picking up in the drugstore. An orthotic actually is a custom molded device in the same way that an orthodontist would take an impression of the mouth. A podiatrist would take an impression of both feet and send it out to a lab. We don't make those in our office, but those are made for a normal adult. They would last four to five years. With kids, a lot of times they're growing. You have to replace them every year or two just from size differences. But that actually controls the motion of the ankle and the heel it glides over the arch so it should feel good in the arch but it shouldn't be just something jammed in your shoe holding your arch up you should actually control the way you function and there's a lot of little different tricks that we can do with an orthotic that really affect not only a child's but an adult's activities whether they're sport specific activities or there's someone who works in retail and is on their feet all day because those type of women again we're going back and forth a little are, you know, they need to be in a dress shoe at work, but they don't want to wear a high heel or a pump when they're at home. They want to be in a tennis shoe or play tennis or do yoga or go to the gym. And for that, we need to work different things for them.
0: So we'll call those dress shoes high feet. There you go. <laughs> and, and the drawbacks for that. So, okay, I'm going to draw on a little personal experience here and ask you a series of questions. And um, then we can get into sport feet because that's an important one to address. Because I think, I think that. That's one where let's say an amateur probably could really use some advice. Not somebody that really is a true true blown athlete, but an amateur probably needs to be educated in that regard, especially the weekend, you know, sportsmen. The weekend warriors. The weekend warriors. Um after the birth of my third child, I had some pain in my heel and I just thought maybe I'd stepped on a nail or something sharply and that it bruised it and that it would um heal. And so I let it go for about five or six months. But uh, when I was pregnant with my third child, we moved into a home that had stairs right when I was eight months pregnant. And I used to have very high arches. I was a ballet dancer. And somewhere along the line, I, like, entered this whole world of mother help me. I, I couldn't walk. I couldn't, you know, walk from my bed to my bathroom without being in severe pain. And
1: um, Did your arches lower? They must have. Okay. And
0: my feet got longer, of course. Okay. So they flattened out a little bit. And um, I obviously, I put on a lot of weight with the pregnancy, so that contributed. And, um, and I entered a world where my podiatrist was the most important person to me in my life. And so I'm, I'm fascinated by this because when you're young, you don't think about this sort of thing.
1: Well, that, that, what you brought up is you brought up two separate things. The One most common thing that you'll hear about, and almost everyone has heard this, or if not, they can ask one or two people, and they've heard someone that's had It's called plantar fasciitis. Yes. Itis, on the end of anything, just means an inflammation of in Latin, so tonsillitis, Appendicitis, plantar fasciitis. So we all have plantar fascia. And many people will come into my office after being online saying, I have plantar fascia. I said, I hope you do because that's a connective tissue that holds your foot together. <laughs> but your plantar fascia many times can get inflamed. And usually if it gets inflamed, it's right underneath the heel. Now, in your case, let's talk about that specifically. And this isn't long, but I will see many women like that who will be during their pregnancy, their OB will send them to my office and say, Jeff, I have to keep this person walking during their pregnancy, whether it be for to avoid gestational diabetes, to keep the weight loss, keep the b- blood pressure down all those things that come into play with that, but they can't walk their heels hurting them and what will happen with that, what I've seen is in a pregnancy, the lady gains weight, so there's more weight pushing down on the foot, and then different hormones are released, as we know, for Relaxing. the pelvic ligaments, just to really, and they don't go only to your pelvis, they'll go throughout your body when it's in your bloodstream, so it, when that relaxes the ligaments of the foot with the increased weight, many ladies will say, I can't believe it, after my first, it's usually, I see it only after the first, after my first child, my foot grew a size, or grew a half a size, and I hate to tell them, I said, well, at our age, probably in our, in our late 20s, 30s, or 40s, we didn't open our growth places start growing again what we've done is we have actually collapsed or we don't use the word sag we say the foot may have flattened or (laughs) collapsed a little bit and then and then basically that that's what will happen and in that case most of the time especially if they are pregnant we can't use a lot of drugs on during the pregnancy so we'll treat them by a via physical therapy via a custom molded functional orthotic devices night spoons we have a whole realm just for that alone but that's very common in pregnancy that we see that
0: well i had the most expensive footwear after that and I must have spent thousands of dollars just trying to make walking you know, palatable for me. And I had a podiatrist tell me, he said, if we do nothing, this will resolve itself in five years. <laughs> and I did everything I could save surgery. I did not want to go that route. And um, it resolved itself in five years.
1: Well, yeah, that's usually a little too long. Now, normally plantar fasciitis, as we've talked about in, like I said, which is called heel, heel pain, heel spur syndrome, there's a lot of different names for it, which are all very similar. There's other types of heel pain, but I'm going with the most common one in this show today. But that type of entity that when you get plantar fasciitis is easily treated, but the quicker you get in, the quicker it can be treated. Very rarely is it a surgical condition. Now, a lady who, say, has had her children and she has a bunion and wants me to fix her bunion, there's not a lot I can do non-surgically to make her bunion better because there's a bone pushing out on the side of your foot. But plantar fasciitis being an inflammatory condition, I'm actually able to stop that. With Many times, very I do a lot of surgery, and very rarely do I have to do plantar fascial surgery. It's the most common entity of, of a foot medical condition seen by any specialty. I'm talking family practice, orthopedics, podiatric. The one we all see is plantar fasciitis. That's in the foot. And that one, like I said, if we are treating that by local means, some will even do a cortisone shot. Some of us will do anti-inflammatory medications. We'll do orthotics, physical therapy. Um, There's a lot of different things we can do. And if you get in to see your podiatrist, pretty early the earlier you are the less inflamed it is the quicker you'll resolve it cuz 5 months is too long to deal with that we have to keep you walking and everyone is always fighting the battle of keeping your keep staying healthy and the main thing we would like to do what the APMA promotes is we would like to keep everyone walking 20 minutes a day we we like to like laugh and say we keep america walking and it's and it sounds like a silly thing but it isn't walking 20 minutes a day decreases your chance of diabetes lowers your blood pressure Lowers your stress, improves your attitude. There's so many studies. Not one study has ever said it's the wrong thing to do.
0: It's it's such an important message. It's one of the reasons I agreed to do the show today because I I recognized so early on I had total and complete health except for the health of my foot and it affected everything. And then things spiral down, you know. Yeah. And you're not like as happy that. when your foot hurts. No. <laughs> But um, I remember this Dr. Oz and Dr. – oh, I can't think of the guy's name that was his partner, but he was my favorite. (laughs) Poor guy didn't get as much notoriety. But he was the one um, that said he was the one that worked at Cleveland Clinic that said he says you must walk 30 minutes a day as though your life depends upon it. I yeah, agree. And I, I think agree. that's a really strong message, isn't it?
1: Yep. Oh, if, we can keep, if we can push people to walk, uh, I mean, they feel better. Their family doctors, their internists love us. It all works better. If you're diabetic, your endocrinologist likes you. So those are the things we need to keep happening or keep working on happening.
0: So if you're just tuning in with us, uh, this is Real People OC, and I am your host, Kimberly Martin. We air each and every Thursday from 4 to 5 here at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And um, I am lucky to have with us today, just in time for summer, uh, Dr. Jeffrey DeSantis. He's with Cambridge Foot and Ankle. That's his private practice here in Orange. And also um, he's representing as a trustee the American uh, Podiatric Medical Association. And podiatric medicine's often misunderstood, isn't it?
1: I I think a little bit, but I think it's becoming more so. uh, I've been in practice now 24 years. And I think right now it's it's become especially of medicine. I can't imagine a family doctor or anyone not knowing one of us on a first-hand basis to call me on at least several times a week, saying, "Jeff, can you handle this for me? I have a patient that's in." You know, if someone has an acute emergency, an ankle broken ankle, a diabetic ulcer, something that needs to be seen right away, or if they have heel pain or they want to start something themselves, to, that we work as a team together now. And I think it, it's worked that way. Um, the the field as well has progressed. A lot since I've been in practice, more in the residency program. It's always been that you would go get your undergrad degree first and then do four years of a podiatric medical school. There are four different there are basically three different medical fields and you know that are larger fields is MDs, which most people know are medical doctors, the DOs, which is the doctors of osteopathy, and the doctors of podiatric medicine. So those three degrees are the people that are able to prescribe medicine, do surgery, that are on staff at all the hospitals here in Orange County that you know of. A lot of people don't even know that we have a different degrees available, but we do because we've chosen Specialize in those. Um, the um, training is uh, very similar for the, the four years of your podiatric medical school to other schools, although the, you'll you'll branch out a little quicker. And then after that, now we require to do a three year residency um, in podiatric medicine and surgery. And then people after that will decide do they want to be in a practice where they do medicine only do they want to do surgery only do they want to do a combination which is what we have our practice as we have multiple offices with seven doctors so we, it's nice we have in my practice I have doctors that especially more on diabetes some people we take emergency call at the hospitals where we'll handle the broken ankles and the broken heels and we kind of all work together but I think nowadays what you can expect from your podiatrist and what you should expect is that you have a well-trained doctor that is able to handle everything and if he isn't he should get you to someone in his group or someone outside his group or, or her group there's a lot more Females kind of the profession nowadays. Almost half the incoming class is women nowadays, and and that's exciting. And it's more fun for us.
0: Oh, I bet it is. <laughs> I neglected to mention that you also have an office here in Newport Beach. So, and you work out of the Newport Beach office, is that correct? I work. I, I rotate through both. Actually, you rotate through both. Yeah. Okay, very good. Cambridge, um, foot and ankle. Um, okay, so we were borrowing on a little bit of the humor of Dr. Seuss, and we started out with young feet. Um, I hesitate to go straight to old feet because that's a really big one to tackle and I want to spend some time with that. Um, let's go to high feet. Okay. Ladies in high heel shoes. Okay. Some I thought of you the high arch view and high feet. Well, you know, that would, maybe
1: it could be both. You know what's interesting is is my wife is um, not that tall. How should we say that? With that? So my, when people say, would well, you let your wife wear high heels? I said, well, I don't tell my wife what to do in anything. To your stature. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so the one thing that, that probably is the best advice I give someone for high heels is if you're going to wear high heels, and you're going to go somewhere else. Wear, bring another shoes. You see, you know, if you look at girls in San Francisco, and ladies, or in New York, they wear they wear a pair of tennis shoes or running shoes, and you have their high heels with them when they get office, put them on. But more importantly, that is vary the angle, the 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 heel, the high heel height of the high heel. Meaning, if you're going to wear a two and a half inch one day, then wear a flat another day. Go up and down because. If you only wore a flat shoe or you only wore, say, that you only wore a high heel that was over three inches, your your foot is going to be up in there all the time. You're actually going to shorten your Achilles tendon over time. So if we can vary that heel height going up and down a little more, that's with it. I don't have a problem with high heels at all per se. I will tell you, though, that I feel that the one question I get from females, most commonly my practice, what I see out of my practice is women 35 to 55. That's the group that I see just happen to see the most. And the majority of them, I do a lot of bunion Surgeries. And I do a lot of people, I don't have to do bunion surgeries, but the question I get is, do high heels cause bunions? That's probably my number one question from ladies and my neighbors and my wife's friends from that. And I don't think they they will not, actually, I will say they do not cause a bunion, but if someone has the foot type that their mother or father gave them, they're predisposed to developing a bunion, having the higher heel and having the pointed toe shoe is gonna push you, it's gonna increase the odds of you forming a bunion over that if you already have that tendency to do. If you have a foot type that's not going to get a bunion, it's not going to cause a bunion. But it's going to make it, if you're already going that way, it's going to accelerate it.
0: Can an arthritic flare-up cause the, a bunion as well? Cause
1: Well, there are. There's there's a lot of different types of bunions. I'm just generalizing them into a group. Where we'd have to spend a, many hours, which would be a lot of fun, but a little more over what we're doing <laughs> oh, so, today. Oh, so much
0: fun, this <laughs> but, discussion. Of but what will happen
1: is, is, one thing that I do see, and I saw a lady this morning, as a matter of fact, that I operated on on Friday she's doing great but I told her she's how did it look I said it came out great and you look at your pre and post operative x-rays in the foot she says wow it doesn't even look like my foot anymore especially when they have a bunion in their other foot they're waiting to get fixed so they're really excited about that I said the one problem we have when people wait too long is they develop arthritic changes in the joint and I told her I said I can't change that for you I can realign the joint for you it looks good but then we have to talk about what do we do for arthritis in the joint so yes arthritis is a big component of bunions and again the earlier you get in not to get surgery done so a lot of people say I can't have surgery I don't want surgery but to Get the foot just evaluate to see the condition of the joint. There are many things we can do to stop or decrease the, the uh, speed of the progression of the arthritis in the great toe joint.
0: Well, that's actually a really important point to make because I think a lot of people that are philosophically opposed or just afraid or, you know, fearful or don't have time. Um, probably do put off medical care for very important things, especially functional parts of our bodies like our hips and our knees and whatnot because they don't want to go the path of that. But it's probably a really good message to be having that um, just getting in there um, would make a difference. It certainly would have made a difference for me. I let it go way too long, and then I was chasing it, and I never caught up with it. Yeah, I hear that a lot. um, And it was was devastating. It really affected so much um, at a time when, you know, it would have been nice to be more active, so... So Okay, so we addressed high feet, and um, let's talk a little bit about sport feet, but I also want to address some of the uh, new modes of transportation and shoes that have come out, and I want to talk a little bit about that with you. So we'll get to um, serious serious athletes and sports shoes like tennis shoes and running shoes and the importance of varying all of those, but can you comment briefly, if you will, please, on uh, things like I don't want to use name, but the the, um, flip-flops that um, are supposedly keeping you fit and some of the shoes that hold your balance in a different position –
1: okay well let's talk about flip-flops first because that's one thing that i see and again in, but i'm in, talking about the ones that they say will make your butt tight <laughs> okay, okay well i don't know about that but uh but the, the flip-flops that you know that we see being at in coastal you know i'm sure this goes to all the coastal communities right around here where in, you're going to see a ton of them over the summer and we see a lot of flip-flop injuries where people that actually literally sprain their ankle break their foot do something falling off a flip-flop walking again walking It's the one people that walk long distances i'm going to i'm going to come back just a little bit to that, that I like people in a flip-flop around a pool, because obviously there are things that grow around a pool that we don't want to bring home with us. Viruses, which cause plantar warts, fungus, which cause yellow thick all those type of things, athlete's foot, and you'll see a lot of those. So I like people in a flip-flop around the pool. I have nothing against flip-flops. I wear them all the time myself on weekends. As a layer of protection. For as a layer of protection. Now there are newer flip-flops, which are basically, they add a little more support in the heel, where the heel won't invert or invert or turn side to side, and a little bit more arch support in there. Again, better than a normal flap, the little rubber ones we saw our parents wear, but again, not enough to, to walk distances in. So I would leave that one at there. The one thing that I do see, if we're going to talk about summer shoes now, where you talk about athletic shoes, is many... The, the new shoe that I see out there it looks cool, and I'm not going to say any brands, but, and they're not, they're fine for knocking around with. But if you're going to do sports, a lot of people come and say, I bought this pair of shoes and I really want to get in shape and I'm walking now. And my feet are killing me and I'm so frustrated, I don't want to do it anymore. And the first thing I do is, so we'll tell everyone, bring in your shoes with you. As stupid as that sounds, let me see your shoes. And they have a shoe. So when I bend their shoe in half, it'll completely bend in half. They can, I can almost wring it out like a piece of, like a towel or something like that. There's no support to it. If you look at your foot, your foot bends only at the ball of your foot where your toes go up, right? You're You can't bend your foot in half. Yet these shoes bend their foot in half. There's no support for them at all on there, and that's probably the most common. They're almost like a Toms or a Keds. or you know. And I'm not. I'm saying those names because those aren't the shoes, but everyone knows what those are. Those are you know are just more of a a casual shoe. But some of the tennis shoes that have that type of support in them, we're running into problems. Will cause will cause your cause you to to visit your doctor because of that.
0: Well, uh, I know I know of this because I can't wear. Shoes with, you know, kind of flimsy support. I'm going to call them decorative shoes. You know, they mask themselves as a tennis shoe, but they're really not because they offer no support. Mm -hmm. Or um, they're, like you said, they just offer a plain, you know, flat surface or something between you and the street, and that's about it. Uh, No thought went into it other than the shape of, you know, the standard foot. But um, I remember when I was coming out of this, one of the ways I just decided, you know, I've never had foot problems before. So it seems to me I just need to strengthen my arches. And I wore some of those flip-flops that were really strong in the backside that help you supposedly get fit as you walk in them. I never did get fit by that. Um, but uh, they they would strengthen my arches. So the first three days you wore them, I was in a significant amount of pain because it was a lot more trouble to walk through them. They were kind of like I understand. A, a fitness flip-flop is what they would maybe be referred to. And, um and so that was, you know, that was something that I thought helped me, but you know, I still can't stick them on without hurting or you know, it's kinda of like exercising that first three days you exercise your really so sore, and if you do too much, then you don't want to return to the exercise. Yeah. So. Well, we,
1: we even have something out there, and again, I won't say the name brand of it now, but there are certain um, patients who come in that have... The problem for me is, I always used to hear flat feet are so terrible. Flat feet will get you out of the army. Flat feet, flat feet. The harder part for a podiatrist or a surgeon to feel is a, is a high arch foot. It's a much more difficult foot to, to control and to make the patient pain-free because there's just not as much sock absorption for that. So many times, those people, and the, the top of their shoe rubs when they tie their shoe because it bothers them, especially a lady, if they want to wear a tight Shoe their vamp will hit them on top, so we will actually put them into a custom molded flip flop. Okay, what we do is we take a mold of the foot, just like we would for an orthotic. Send that off to the lab, the lab, and the lab actually will put it in the orthotic into their their uh, flip flop themselves, so they have a custom molded pair of sandals. Which again, in Newport Beach, we see a lot of patients coming in for that because they love them. Once they have that, they don't want to walk without it.
0: That would be well worth the investment. But one of the things they taught me was to keep that heel stable, and that's important, isn't it?
1: It is. That's probably, I, there's an old adage, and you know, one of my professors told me, the heel controls the world. And again, that's what we look at in orthotic, and when we're talking about big reconstructive surgeries of, of the hind foot, and that usually will start out getting the heel in a position where we want it to be. So if we can control the heel, again, non-surgically, via the type of shoe gear you're wearing or the orthotic or the insole in your shoe, that's really what we're looking at. In a shoe, I tell people the three things I do, if you're going to check out a shoe gear, if you're going to move to the ones sporting good shows, try in about three or four different brands with them. Try it on later in the day because your feet will swell later in the day. That's number one. Good tip. Number wow. two, so I tell people do it always in the afternoon. So you're doing that. Number two, walk in shoes. When you were a little girl, I'm sure your mom says when you bought new shoes, stand up. Your foot's longer when you stand up. It is in real life. Not only is it longer, but it's wider. We have a longitudinal as well as a transverse arch. So we want to make sure that we're standing up. So walk around in the in. If you go into the shoe gear, walk around the store, put another shoe, walk around. You'll see which one will feel better for you. The three things to look for. It should bend at only at the toe of the foot, where the ball of the foot is. That's where the shoe should bend. If you try to bend it. Number two, if you try to wring it out like a wet towel from side to side it should have it should be a stable shoe and not able to do that and then i tell people usually most of the shoes nowadays have a removable insole so give that so if you ever want to do an orthotic we pull the insole of the store-bought one in there which are usually a very thin non-supportive one and then we can put in a custom molded one for you
0: so important i did that for years okay so if you're just tuning in with us this is kimberly martin and i'm your host of real people oc We air each and every Thursdays from 4 to 5, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Dr. Jeffrey DeSantis. He is a doctor of podiatric medicine, and he is here in town with uh, Cambridge foot and ankle. And today he is representing the American Podiatric Medical Association as a trustee of that organization. And really the APMA is putting out um, some findings and, and also just generally letting us know about foot health and the importance of walking. Um, how long have they been putting out this message?
1: Oh, I think we've had our 100th anniversary, so it's been a long time. Obviously, media is much different nowadays. Um, it's nice to be able to do a live interview like this where I'm talking to a person, but a lot of it is digital and in print, and that has come up much more, I'd say, over the past you know, decade to 20 years at the most.
0: Okay, so we've covered young feet, high feet. Let's move on to sport feet. You've addressed that a lot with the, with the flip-flops and also with the support of a tennis shoe. But let's talk just specifically about athletes and high-performance
1: shoes. Okay. I'm going to do one more thing because I forgot something. I, I guarantee oh, that I want to have this on there because some of my friends that are basically melanoma surgeons and dermatologists always like me to bring this up. The one thing I do tell my one hint that I see, especially for people down here in Orange County in the summer is put sunscreen on the top of your foot. Everyone will put it on their nose, their foreheads, their shoulders. But the other area that looks up toward the sun is the top of your foot. We're seeing an increase in the prevalence of melanoma in the foot, which we do not ever want to see. That's something you don't want to see. If you get a, any irregular um, spot on your foot, anything that looks different to you, get into your podiatrist. Let them take a look at it and see, is there something we need to worry about that could be the start of a squamous cell or a melanoma? But I tell people, if, they're one, if they said, what's the one thing I would do in the summer? I said, I wouldn't go barefoot You know, other than around your house. I'd wear a, I'd wear a, a nice functional flip-flop, and I would also put sunscreen on the top of your foot because if we can prevent one melanoma, this whole interval was worthwhile for you and I.
0: It's, it's a very important public service announcement for sure, and one of the main things I think is so prevalent here is our worship of the sun and we don't want to pull those winter feet out and show off white feet. So people are quick to want to get some color on them and probably the best way is to do it safely and slowly, right?
1: Oh yeah. That's the one thing I would, if that if that's the only thing that came out here today, I think we've done well for everyone. So okay. hopefully okay. we can do a lot more than that though.
0: Very good. Okay. I'm happy about that. So let's talk about high performance shoes because a lot of people do take um, some little extra time in the summer. Things are a little easier, especially for families that have school age children is there um, something that we can talk about to educate just quickly people that are wanting high-performance shoes?
1: I think so. I think the high-performance shoe that I see is usually the runners, and those are, those are the people that I will do. And we have people in Orange County that are weekend warriors that will run a little bit and say, I'm a runner, and I'll say, so I'll, my next question is, what is running to you? Well, I run a mile a day. Great! I'm glad that you're doing that. Then I have other people that run marathons, and I have other people that run the ultra or the super marathons where they run 75 mile marathons. We've got it all here in Orange County. The running shoe that I like to see that I tell people should really provide more shock absorption, and it's for a forward motion, meaning go straight straight ahead forward. If you're developing, if you're going to play. We'll get into soccer shoes next because that's obviously a big sport soccer, lacrosse, football, all those type of things that are there. You'll have to go side to side motion. Running shoes are not for that. Running shoes are for running. So, what I tell people is don't try to mix and match shoes. Don't try to buy a running shoe and say, I'm going to play basketball in it and I'm going to play um, and I'm going to run it around the track at, uh, at the high school to get in shape too. That's not what's going to happen because you're going to end up a running shoe is great for running straight ahead. And those running shoes now, some of the Intense marathoners, the people that I talk to that are pounding it, will will tell them there's 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 groups of thought that you should change your shoes every 350 to 400 miles. I'm a little more lenient at that I tell people about 600 miles or so is what you can get out of a pair of shoes if you kind of walk. And now with all the different things to track our walking steps per day, it's a lot easier for everyone. But if you, if you're looking at that about 600 even 800 miles, um, you can go in a pair of shoes because they're so much better. When I first started practicing, you know, 20 plus years ago, I'd ask people to bring their shoes in. I could see their wear patterns. The problem now is shoes are so well made that you don't really see a wear pattern on the outside, but on the inside the part that's supporting the patient is not performing the way that it should have been. So I tell people, if you think about it, you need to get a new pair of running shoes. If you're running quite a bit, 6,800 miles, that's about every six or eight months is probably what you're looking at. At least once a year.
0: So pretty pretty recently or pretty pretty quickly if you're a runner, you know, that's 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 pretty frequent. So I, I never appreciated that because I'm I like I like to get a lot of mileage out of my stuff. And I remember putting on a new pair of shoes and then shortly after that, putting on an old pair. And boy, it was significant, the difference in um, arch
1: support. It's a big difference. I tell people, a lot of neighbors will ask me, especially after the first year, I want to get in shape. What should I do? I hear that so much. I said, you know, before you do anything, I would say before you start, I love that people join gyms, but I don't want to have someone join a gym and get frustrated and not do it. So I tell people a good, easy baby step for this is buy yourself, you know, go to the store, get fitted for a good pair of running shoes and I'm talking running shoes for a walker. My mom Sorry, Mom, I'm to tell you your age. She's in her 70s. But I told Mom, I said, I said, I want you to get it. She said, I'm walking more, Jeffrey. I said, great, keep walking. I want you to walk. My internist loves that I'm walking. But she said, my feet are starting to hurt a little bit. I said, go buy your, She goes, no, I'm going to go buy a pair of walking shoes. I said, no, you're going to buy a pair of running shoes. She said, I am not a runner. I said, I didn't tell you to, buy, to be a runner. So you you be a pair, wear a pair of running shoes. So even the people out here in Orange County, we have so many people that are active now that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s that want to walk every day Walk in a pair of running shoes. Walking shoes, for me, are more stability-oriented. They're more for just maintaining your balance. But if you're going to go out and get exercise, even though you're a walker, which is such a huge portion of our population now, walk in running type of shoes.
0: Okay, so that's the first time I've heard this. So what's what's the general wisdom behind that from the long term? Is it just that... It's more forgiving or more shock-absorbing? More
1: shock-absorbing, and it's usually a little lighter. A lot, a lot of the, the walking lighter. shoes are, again, they're for stability, for side-to-side, side, and they're a heavier shoe, yeah, and people sure. don't like it. They walk, and they feel their legs feel like lead when they're done, they said. So get yourself a nice pair of running shoes. You might be a little tired when you first start walking, but after a week or two, you should actually feel invigorated and, and feel better when you're walking, and your shoes should not be a hindrance to you moving forward with that.
0: So a running shoe is a lot lighter in weight than a walking shoe
1: in my opinion yes there are there are differences but if you're making generalizations that's the way i would look at it so a running shoe is for exercise the one thing I will tell you that I want to get into a little bit because we didn't go over it quite enough that I missed a little bit of that is in soccer we have so many kids in, in this area that play soccer which is great you want to keep them playing. But in soccer you have lateral or what we call side to side motion on that and for those type of shoes you'll need a, you do not want a running shoe you don't want a shoe with a big heel where you look at it where they could where they could turn their ankle or turn their foot over. So when you're looking at a soccer shoe for the younger ones you're going to look for something that allows side to side motion most of them will go into cleats and the one little thing that I will tell parents about cleats is I don't like metal cleats okay and also when the kids are younger we mentioned the growth plate injuries again kids 9 to 13 in there a lot of times the cleat itself if you can believe it I'll have the parents if they have if they said my child has pain I bring the cleat into the office many times the cleat or the little piece that sticks out of the bottom of the, of the shoe there to maintain a grip in a wet field will be right under the heel so, the cleat itself will actually be causing the child, um, will be ch- causing them pain. And for that, we actually tried them. They're, they're called multi cleats, is the name of it, where they have a lot of little smaller pegs for the children nine through 11. When you get older and when your kids playing in high school or looking at college ball, I know you're going to go to a much more beefy cleat, and that's fine at that age. But at the kids from nine to 11, nine to 13, that age group, we want what's called a multi cleat, or we don't want a lot of big cleats in, in specific areas of the foot, which actually could cause more pressure for them.
0: Okay, so my husband has long time thought that maybe cleats could actually cause more injuries in the younger kids. Is there some some findings related to that, or is I don't it have a, I don't have a study on
1: that, but I have seen I, have, I I personally have seen myself where kids have come in with heel pain, and their growth plate, of their heel has been affected because the cleat itself or the peg coming out is literally looks like a spike going right into their heel when they come down on it. And I tell the parents. I hate that you spent the money on this but throw them away. Right. Get yourself you're going to get a cleat, make sure it's a disperse that there's multiple cleats so that the weight is dispersed Not and I think and sort of especially on the younger kids.
0: Okay, that's good advice. And the metal cleats probably because they just grab the ground too much and There's no forgiveness and to and that. And there's no forgiveness yeah. to that. You you know when you're shifting, you're that's how um, catching on that could really cause a lot of ankle injuries I would imagine. I'm just oh, guessing. Yeah. I am I'm not allowed to practice medicine without a license in my house, but I try sometimes.
1: <laughs> well, we worry about, the, we worry about the, the other thing that we'll see is a, is a lot of sprains. And the one thing I will tell you on this is I'm, I'm surprised at how tough people are in Orange County. I used to think people were tough in the Midwest. People in Orange County are tough because I get people that come in and say, I turned my ankle, whether it was off a flip-flop, a high heel, a basketball game with their friends, a soccer, and they'll say, my foot's swollen, I sprained my ankle. I'm taking an x-ray. Are you sure you need an x-ray, doc? I said, let me take one to be sure. I don't know how many times I found a broken bone, either in the in the foot, which we call the fifth metatarsal I see, or in the outside of the ankle, which is the fibula, where they've been walking it in on a broken bone. And they'll say, well, no wonder it hurt. I'll say, yeah, no wonder it hurt. You're pretty tough. Now let's get you in a boot. Let's get our cast let's get this thing healed before you need a surgery. So the other thing I will tell people is if a lot of people say, when do I need to go see someone? You kind of know. If if it's swollen, you know, we use the the RICE model, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Everyone can do that after a sprained ankle. But if something isn't right in another day or two and you kind of know or you heard a pop or you can't bear weight on it, you need to go in and have that evaluated because you need to make sure that we're not going to do something that could have been treated non-surgically or conservatively and heal quickly becomes a bigger problem where we have to really talk about surgery or a cast or crutches or something like that in the future.
0: Okay, very interesting. So I we can we could probably talk about sports injuries all day, but <clears throat> as it relates to feet, is there anything else that you want to say about it before we move on to old feet and sick feet?
1: <laughs> I think I think I think that's fine. You know, I tell people stretch before as well as after exercise, and I tell people to ice as well. In addition to that, too, when you're when you're done with your not after not before, but when you're when you're done with it, especially if you're you know in the forty fifty plus age group, you want to ice it after that if you have any inflammation. I'd rather have people icing and stretching than taking medications for it like anti inflammatories. Oh. So, and believe me, we need anti inflammatories at times. They're not bad, but I'd rather have it treated from in a more you know. Um, uh, non-invasive way, if we could.
0: Ice is so effective, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> As we age. <laughs> oh, man. It, it becomes your friend. Um, well, let's throw out a resource, if we could, for people to do a little bit more research. They can go to the APMA.org yes. to see some of uh, the guidelines that they have there for, for what to do in these circumstances. Um, okay. So, if you're just tuning in, this is Real People OC. I'm your host, Kimberly Martin, and I am enjoying an important discussion here with Dr. Jeffrey DeSantis. He is a trustee of the APMA, the American Podiatric Medical Association, and he's also a uh, practicing DPM here in Newport Beach and also in Orange uh, with Cambridge Foot and Ankle. So if anybody wanted to reach out to you, Dr. DeSantis, could they could they email you or should I give out a phone number? What's the best thing to do?
1: I would say the best thing would just be to call our, our office, um, and that number is, I'll let you read it. It's 949
0: 718 nine four nine seven one eight. 3955 for Newport and 714-771-4191 for the Orange location. So, okay, old feet and sick feet, we can be here forever, but let's just touch on it because it's an important one to pay attention. Many of us are in the position of being caregivers of our loved ones, and boy, it is so misunderstood how to handle some of these situations. Um, let's give out some advice on some of the, the common things that happen to Um, to our elder loved ones and um, people that are, you know, perhaps suffering from diabetes and some of the things that cause
1: foot health to deteriorate. Okay. Probably the main thing that I see from the elderly as well as just the aging population, even if we don't call them elderly, is that they're staying more active, which is great. And a lot of them... The sh- just the dumb things we've just talked about, like the, the, not dumb for lack of a better word. I, I shouldn't use that term, but just getting them a newer pair of shoes so that they feel more active. A lot of them say they don't want to spend the money on it, but they have to. They have to keep active and keep doing that for them just to keep them walking. They don't need to go to a gym or run, but if they can swim, if they can walk, if they can ride a bike, all those things will really help. The one thing that we do see is a lot of times the blood flow to the lower extremities will diminish in time. That's just a, a fact of life. It's going to do that. So what can you do to, to alleviate that? Exercise, which builds up collateral circulation, is why we bring that up. In addition to that, there are, luckily, we see less of it, but there still are people that smoke out there. And I'm not going to get down on them and tell people to change their lifestyle, but if you say, what does that do? It, it basically clamps down on the blood vessels, bringing that circulation down to your toe, so or down to your big toe, or down to your foot, where you get leg cramps or something like that. So, obviously, stopping the smoking, and keeping exercise is fine. If you don't, many times you'll get something that will start to be so such a little problem becomes a big problem if you have a lack of blood flow and you develop something that just uh, like a corner, or a callus many times people will go to the drugstore and they will use a acid treatment on there to burn it off well many times they've lost some feeling in their feet too the acid will then burn through sadly enough we're not going to get too gory in this into the skin causing a problem they have a lack of blood flow all of a sudden they end up in the hospital for a little toe problem that that's what it should have been treated as at first so what do we see first of all if you see any abnormal thickening of the skin on the foot don't start using acid acid treatments unless you talk to your podiatrist first and they say that's okay, which I doubt they will, but let's at least have a look at that. So you'll notice corns, calluses, thickened heels, cracking of the heels, something like that. A lot of those things, when they're treated, they're like, wow, I feel better. And not only that, they hurt just a little bit. And older people don't complain a lot. Some will complain a lot, some won't complain a lot at all. And they're tough. But when they feel better, they'll say, wow, I feel like walking. They're act, they're, they're, uh, their whole attitude is better. So just dumb little things like that. Something is, is our nails thicken when we get older. I don't even want to talk about nail fungus oh, on this yeah, show. Why but, do
0: they thicken? Is it all related to fungus or is well, it related to age?
1: age? Age, you're going to have some thickening over there and then also you're going to have some fungus issues with that too. But a lot of times those will hurt the patients and they'll hurt in shoes or they'll hurt on the you know, on the side of the foot where they'll develop an ingrown toenail as well too. So those, they, they sound like dumb little things but that's what they are if we treat them right away and, but they can actually become life altering for an older patient where, where you'll see them once in the office and, and fix it or they'll say, wow, I've been dealing with this for six months. I didn't know it could be done. So the, the, the research Resources out there, like you said, call up myself, any other podiatrist here in Orange County. Go to the APMA.org. There's a lot of different resources for you, but those are probably the main things that I see with elderly patients.
0: Well, and another thing to be mindful of, especially if you're a caregiver, is if somebody thinks that their toes or their feet are unsightly, they will often keep them covered. Yes. And that's something you know you're going to have to peel back the layers, whether you want to or not, um, or get them to see somebody that will will treat them and look at look at the ugly ugly truth if that's what it is. Um, because they're just going to hide it until it's, you know, potentially, you know, life-threatening.
1: And they, and they really, and you know, we're not going to talk about business on this show, but e- even most of the insurances, such as Medicare, even cover that in most conditions now to to have that because they've realized that it's causing more problems down the line. That some preventative care, there's different ways that can be covered under Medicare for those type of patients is being able to be seen and being treated for that. And patients are like, wow, I didn't even know that I could have this available to myself. So it's important talk to your podiatrist, talk to your family doctor, your primary care physician, and see if there's something we can do to help you because a lot of times there is and then you're really surprised to say wow didn't why didn't I do this earlier? why didn't I do this for my mom or dad earlier and it's available
0: okay good that is important to know I think that's probably the most important thing is to know what the resources are available to you because you know there we have some sort of pride in this country about well I don't go to the doctor or um, I'm not going to spend the money on me kind of attitude and you know go look into my own health um, it's, it's a bit of a badge of honor for that older generation, isn't it? It you know? is.
1: It is. But when they when they feel yeah. better, they are appreciative and they let you know.
0: Yeah, very good. Um, it, why is it so important in some cases for doctors to um, trim toenails and not loved ones?
1: And not loved ones?
0: And not family members that are oh, inexperienced. Oh, okay. I in, not, oh, not them trimming. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um I would think that many times what will happen is if they have a lack of circulation to the foot or they have another condition such as diabetes, there's a lot of different conditions we can go over. The fact that if you trim a nail and it digs in again and causes an infection or you were able to or the skin is cut while it's taking it off, many times they have a sore that won't heal and they end up with an infection in the hospital. And those usually end up through the emergency department on a weekend that we see and they call us in there. And again a little bit of preventative treatment would have avoided that. It's no more important anywhere than in diabetics. And one of my good friends, a guy named Dr. Richard Eddy, who is now up in Oregon, he was at St. Joseph's with me for a long time, gave me one statement. He said, give diabetes an inch, it'll take a foot, Jeff. And I tell all my patients that it's a sad thing, but it's not. It means we're going to hit it head on. So when I th- And I almost tell every new patient with diabetes that's sent to me that that's what we're going to do. We're not going to give it an inch. We're not going to let an ingrown toenail cause you a problem. We're not going to let a corn or a callus cause you a problem. We're not going to let foot pain or lack of circulation or smoking cause you a problem. And those are all the things that we can combat. The biggest thing we worry about with diabetics is that many times they'll lose a, the feeling in their feet. People have heard of neuropathy or peripheral neuropathy. That can happen. Um, diabetics, most commonly, the three areas of their body that we see are their eyes are affected, their kidneys are affected, and their feet are affected. Nowadays, we live in an area with with the healthcare here in Orange County is wonderful. Um, I don't care if you look at Hogue, St. Joseph, Mission, there are hospitals all over the place that provide wonderful care and the physicians are top notch. They're top in the world if you ask me. So rarely does a patient fall through the cracks and usually when a patient is diagnosed with diabetes, they're sent to all the different specialists and the primary care physicians or whatever, especially they are, they expect us to handle that so that they don't have to worry about it. They can worry about other parts of their body and the diabetics with the neuropathy, we have to ensure that there are different things done so they don't develop a breakdown what we call a shark, or or their foot could collapse with them okay, underneath it. With that, because the biggest thing we want to do is avoid, you know, give diabetes an inch. It'll take a foot. We don't want an amputation. There are so many amputations going on in America, around the world, but just in America, especially in the minority populations nowadays, that we have to stop that. And that's one of the pillars of the APMA is that we're working on that day in and day out to stop that because it affects, it's not just a foot, it's a person's life when someone loses a leg. And it's usually not because they got ran over by a tractor or a car. It's because something happened. They were a smoker. They had a corn. They had a callus. They had an ulcer. We need a breakdown in the skin. And with neuropathy, they don't feel it. So I tell people the one thing you can do if you, have a, if you have a family member who is diabetic or if you're diabetic and you're listening, look at your feet once a day. That's all you have to do for us. Look at your feet once a day. And if you can't see your foot, if you can't bend that far, put a mirror against the wall and put your foot up next to it and look at it. And if you see a problem, call your podiatrist. It's that simple because we can handle it. But the sooner you get into us, the sooner you're going to have a better chance. A lot of people are afraid. They, they think their foot could be cut off, and they've heard horror stories about that. They don't want to call us. Don't do that. Get in because the sooner you can get in, the more better chance the the better chance I have of saving your foot.
0: Okay, so timing is of the essence for for something like this. It's really critical, oh, yeah. isn't
1: it? Oh yeah, and like you said, they'll hide it. They'll keep it in their shoes. So
0: they'll hide it because they're embarrassed at the way their toenails look. But the toenail maybe isn't the issue. It's something else that they correct they miss for a couple of days. And you know, people that are young and active and you know, leading what I would say a quote unquote normal life don't really understand how how somebody could fall into a place where they're not checking themselves regularly, but it happens, doesn't it?
1: It does. It does a lot. And like I said, sadly, that part of our, um, just with our diet and lack of exercise here, anywhere in the world is uh, increasing our diabetic population. So again, that's what we want to do. We want to keep America walking. That's the one thing that podiatrists can do. If we do that and do it well, and then also stop the, you know, the diabetic amputations or decrease the chance of then, then that's, that's what we've, that's, that's, then we've done some good in our career.
0: Very good. Well, I mean, I have really enjoyed the time. Is there anything else we're drawing down on our time with you? Is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? You think we covered it all?
1: I think we did. I think the main thing is, is, is get out there, learn. I mean, there's a lot of different sites that are available. Don't listen to every site. I tell people, a lot of people come in with brochures they've printed online with me and not all of it's true, but that's okay. They're making them think it's make, it engages them in a dialogue with me. How many times they come in and say, my dad won't come in my mom won't come in. Could I, could I bring them in? They want to talk to me first. You can call our office You can come in and see us. And we're happy to do that because that's what we're here for.
0: Is there a lot of misinformation out there that you have to dispel as a podiatrist?
1: Um, I think the main thing is that people are worried what the treatment is going to be or how painful it's going to be. And that's probably the biggest thing that I'll see is people have lived in pain with a foot deformity, unable to wear shoes, cut out the side of their shoe because their bunion won't fit. It hurts that bad, yet they won't want to undergo a surgery. And I'll say, why, why didn't you want to do this earlier? Because I thought it was so painful. I say, and they'll say, I did the surgery and there was almost no pain afterwards. Why did I wait that long? Well, there have, I, like I said, I've been, I'm starting my 25th year this July there's been a lot of advances in 25 years. There have been a lot of advances in the last 10 or 15 years. And most of the time people say, wow, why did I wait so long? So why did you wait so long? For pain is important. But more importantly, if you have a sore, if you're a diabetic, if you know someone who's elderly like that, why did you wait? Because that's going to make us harder to solve. Because then you have to solve it at that point.
0: Right, right. And I definitely say I w- was a victim of waiting. And certainly I can advise against that because um, I fell way behind in my ability to, to chase the, the treatment outcomes or to, you know, to get and it And that's up. normal. Yeah, very good. All right, well, Dr. DeSantis, I really appreciated um, your time today. I'm going to redirect our listeners to um, look at APMA.org for some some great uh, health tips on keeping your feet healthy. And this summer is just an important time. We've got to enjoy our feet. We've got to enjoy our lives. And uh, Dr. DeSantis can be reached at Cambridge Foot and Ankle, either in Orange or in Newport Beach. We gave out that number uh, earlier in the show. And you can uh, podcast the show if you'd like, but um, enjoy your summer. Wouldn't you say? What's your message for the summer, Dr. DeSantis? Keep walking. <laughs> Keep walking. All right. Yeah, that's now Wear probably, sunscreen <laughs> on your feet. Wear sunscreen <laughs> on your feet and, and that walking 20 to 30 minutes a day as though your life depends upon okay. it is well, enjoy fabulous this. advice. Yeah, thank you so much.